Well, again, we're glad each and every one of you is here with us today as we are continuing our teaching series called Foundations for the Valley. Let's say that out loud together on three. One, two, three. Foundations for the Valley. And listen, I want you to hear the heart of, of this series that we're in. It's a campaign that we're in as well. But what we really want to do is we want to unpack what this campaign is about, but more than just what it's about the heart that we want to have as we go into it, as we're in the middle of it. Because foundations for the valley symbolizes a heartbeat for the next generation. So our, our kids' ministry is called Foundations, and we care deeply about that side of the ministry, as well as our middle school and high school students, as well as our college students, as well as the young adults, young professionals that are going to make up and continue to make up Riverbend. We care about the next generations. And for the valley signifies what we said early on here about living for Jesus, loving the valley and the world, and that we want to join Jesus continually about being a church that doesn't just exist for itself, but exists for the community as well that we're a part of, that seeks to serve as Jesus served and to share what Jesus has done for all people. And this comes in the midst of our lease here coming to an end in 2025, May 31st, 2025. And it's not that we've said, hey, we want to leave. It's that the landlord has said, I'm in a place in my life that I'm not comfortable renewing long-term leases. So this is what actually happened. And we're grateful that he was honest with us because it allows us to come up with a game plan. And so this is our heart and our attempt to join Jesus in preparing for where he is working already and what it is that he has in store for us as a church. And so in order to help us do that, what I wanted us to do is to journey with the nation of Israel as they left Egypt and were in this crossroads of finding their new and next home and what it is that we learn from them. And so we're journeying through Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. And I said last week that if you're a person who likes numbers, this series is for you, right? As we're in the book of Numbers throughout it. But the thing that I want you to just consider as we're journeying through this series specifically was a question that I gave you last week, and it's this. Do you want to go to the promised land? Do you want to go to the promised land? And I just want to say to you, what we mean by that for us is what's our new and next place that God has for us? We don't know exactly where it is. We know it's in the Lehigh Valley, right? That's helpful. Uh, but we know that he has a home for us, and so we're discerning with one another, with the Lord, what it is that he has for us. But the other part of this isn't limited to the location. It also speaks that there are areas in our life that God wants to do a deep work in us. And an opportunity that happens in the midst of something like this is for us to deepen our trust and dependence upon him. I know for many of you, when you think about the promised land, there's this ongoing issue that plagues your life. Maybe it's an addiction that you wrestle with. Maybe it's an anxiety that totally knocks you out of the game of life at times. Maybe for you, it's the shame of past decisions that you've made. Uh, maybe for you, even as we talk about the new and next and think about where God has for us, all of a sudden, Things are brought up within you. Things that you thought were dealt with are triggered because you think about an experience you had in another church and how bad that went. 
And that all of a sudden, uh-oh, is Riverbend going to be after my money? Is that what this is? And I just want to clarify, and I want to say to you on the front end, we're only after what Jesus is after for your life. Because when Jesus talks about money, it's always in connection for us to live the life that seeks to be and to walk in the shalom and the freedom that he comes to give to us. That's why Jesus would say things, show me your money and I'll show you where your heart is, right? And I know for many of us, the other part of that, beyond being triggered about a bad experience, understandably so, and I don't want to diminish how painful that was, but I want you to know, Jesus actually wants to bring healing from that part in your life. You know that? He wants to bring healing from those points in our lives. He wants to allow us to experience the liberty and the freedom that he's come to give to us. He wants that for each and every one of us. So in the midst of what you're facing and experiencing, please don't hear me downplaying it. Because the other part of this is some of us, when we think about our personal finances, we're thinking about the debt that we're in. We're thinking about, oh my goodness, how can I actually move forward in my life when I have this great cloud of debt over me? and my finances are in disarray, or there's a health issue, or there's something ongoing, I just want you to know there's a God that goes with us. And we're going to see that throughout this particular sermon today and this message that we're in. But I don't want you to miss that in the midst of it, there's a part that we have to play. And it's simply this. This is what I said to you last week. You won't go if you aren't willing to grow. And that's not just about our new home. This is about our lives in Christ. There's got to be a willingness, right? The psalmist says that. Give me a willing spirit that I may join you in what it is that you have for my life. That I may turn around and join you into the activity that you have for me. But there's got to be a willingness. Are you willing? Am I willing? Nobody else can make me be willing. That's up to me. That's a decision I have to make. Am I humble enough? Am I teachable enough? Am I willing? Am I willing to go with Jesus where he's going? The areas in my life that he wants to work with me on and through as I deeply surrender to him? The exciting parts of life, right? Am am I willing to allow him into those moments, in those places? And it's not just the exciting and the extraordinary. It's the ordinary and the boring and the painful. It's the rainy days of life. As we've been in a couple days here of a lot of rain falling, right? He wants to join us in the midst of that. So today, here's what I want to give to us as we begin our time. And here's the next part of this. And it's really based off what we saw last week when we started this series. In Numbers 13, 20, they're given the following. And I want us to read this out loud together on three. One, two, three. Be courageous. Be of good courage. Show yourself courageous. And so these 10 leaders from the, excuse me, these 12 leaders were sent to go and explore the land. These 12 leaders from the nation of Israel, they're 12 tribes, and they have left being enslaved in Egypt, and they've experienced freedom and seen God show up in deep and profound ways part the Red Sea, do miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And God says to Moses, send these 12 spies to explore the land. And so they go and they explore the land. But as he says that, he tells them this, be courageous, be of good courage, show yourself courageous. And to be of good courage or to have courage 
as we said last week, isn't the absence of worry or fear in the sense that, wow, this circumstance looks really big and it's overwhelming, but it's the ability to have the faith and confidence that God's going to show up as we step into the unknown. That he has a way of doing that again and again and again. So it's not saying, hey, I have questions, concerns, doubts. It's about saying, I'm putting all that on you. And I'm going to step out where you're inviting me to go. I'm joining you where you're going. And so as we think about that, that brings us to today's sermon. And here's where it is that we're landing back on this courageous idea. Both fear and faith are contagious. Both fear and faith are contagious. They're contagious like pink eye. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? I was doing some research lately on pink eye. I'm like, thankfully Ray didn't have it, but we were concerned. And they're like, it's highly contagious. It's highly contagious. It's contagious like lice, right? And I don't mean to make you get itchy heads this morning. But here's the thing. Both of those are contagious. They have a way of spreading. And sometimes fear can come out like control. Sometimes it can come out like an outburst of anger. Sometimes it can come out like the sense of dread versus hope. Sometimes fear can come out that way. But again, both fear and faith are contagious. And faith isn't that we don't have questions. Faith isn't that we aren't uh, in the midst of going through what it is that we're experiencing and challenges aren't there for us. Faith says, no, I'm putting my trust in someone that's greater than I am, greater than the set of circumstances that I find myself in. And again, it doesn't downplay what's going on. It doesn't downplay what's happening, but rather allows us in the midst of that to say, in, in those set of circumstances, I'm coming to you, Christ Jesus, with what it is that I'm facing and experiencing, whether it's painful or difficult or whether it's exciting and something in the future that we're looking forward to. And so here's a question for you this morning. Are you feeding fear or faith? Which one are you feeding? Because they both have a massive appetite. So which one are you feeding? Which one are you feeding? And we're going to see today the power of feeding both of these. And what transpires for the nation of Israel as a result of making decisions to feed one over the other. And then next week as we continue in the series, we'll see even more in Numbers 14 about what happens as a result of these decisions that have been made. Again, are you feeding fear or faith? And I want to say to you, even if you don't look at yourself as a leader, like these 12 tribe leaders here, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, I want you to know each of us has the ability to influence one another and impact one another as a community towards fear or faith. Each of us does. Each of us has a part to play in that. And I don't want you to miss that because it'd be easy to be like, no, 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 that's just the pastoral staff or the elders. Yes, we have a part, but we have a part collectively. We have a part. So that brings us to the passage today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me. Numbers 13, 26 through 27. We're going to start there. And it says this, starting here in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh 
in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. Let's read this out loud together on three. One, two, three. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. Oh, it flows with milk and honey, right? That's a good sign. There, there's fruit. The fruit, there's clusters of grapes. Man, these are the evidences that this is a good land. This is good land that God has invited us into. Because we see throughout the Old Testament that this promise was established that he would make a nation for himself that would be a light to all other nations, to the one true God. And part of that was for them to have a land. A land, again, flowing with milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey, and there's fruit there, and there's, God's caring for them. And I just want to say to you, again, this was a specific thing given to the nation of Israel, right? So I'm not saying we're the nation of Israel. I want you to hear that. But there are things that we learn. There's implications from what it is that they experienced in their own lives as a result of what God had invited them into. Which brings us to the next part here. It says this, but the people who live there are what? What is the word here? And the cities are what? And? And then it says, we even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amurites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they started with this evidence, right? There's like milk and honey and fruit. But, right, there's a big but here that they're given. And it's not just that it was excuses that they were making, but they're giving a report of what it is that they saw. They saw in the midst of this that there were people that lived that, that, there that there were powerful. And not only powerful, but the cities were fortified. And when you look at what it is that they experienced there, a lot of commentaries talk about how in the midst of what it is that they saw, they saw these walled cities that were 20 feet tall and that they were 25 feet thick walls and that the people were somewhere between 7 feet to 9 feet tall. Tall people. And this is what they saw. They saw all these people throughout there, the well-guarded. So this is what they saw and this is what they're saying. This is what they're reporting. This is what we saw. We saw the milk and the honey. We saw the fruit. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of people there. A lot of different people representing there that are strong and powerful and well-guarded. And then it goes on to say this. Then, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, let's read this out loud together. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. So Caleb's the only one, him and Joshua, as we'll learn next week, out of the 12 spies, they're the only two that said, hey, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. Because God is the God that has gone with us. God is the God who showed up and showed out when we were held in oppression in Egypt. He delivered us. Did you guys remember that? We put our feet in the, the Red Sea, and guess what happened? It parted. It parted. God made a way. God's made a way again and again and again. 
And as they think about the promised land, they're reminded of his promises and how he has shown up and how he showed out again and again. And we see Caleb and Joshua talking in these ways. Again, 10 to 2. Again, which is greater? 10 or 2, by the way? Is that, huh? What's that? Which is greater? I got some Lehigh students here. 10 or 2 is greater? 10, right? Right? We know, right? That means they were the minority, right? As far as saying, wait a minute, hold on. I know all the buts here. I know all of our reasons. I know all of the things that we can hold on to say, we can't possibly do this. We can't possibly go where God's asking us to go because of all these people, because of all the odds that are stacked against us. But you hear Caleb and Joshua saying, wait a minute, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And when they said this, this is speaking of the courage of who it is they put their hope upon. Who they had seen show up and show out again and again and again. Well, it continues on here. It says, but the men who had gone up with them said, what did they say? Let's say this out loud together on three, one, two, three. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a what? What kind of report? A bad report. A bad report like pink eye, like lice. It was spreading. This bad report. This is a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of what kind of size? great size so they had their eyes on what they could see this is what i see this is what i see with my two eyes bad report here's what's going on if we go there the land we explore it's going to devour us it's going to just eat us alive it's going to tear us apart and the people there they're of great great size great great size and then it goes on to say this we saw the nephilim there the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like, what's the word here? Grasshoppers. And grasshoppers, they're pretty small, right? Like every time I, I see a grasshopper, I'll look at, where did it go? It's like out of my, you know, I can hear it. I can see it for a minute and then it's gone, right? In our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So they said, hey, compared, compared to these people there, we look like grasshoppers. We look like grasshoppers. And I thought it would be fun for us to kind of see what that may have looked like. So I've asked Dan and Cheryl Hutchinson to come up here to the stage. Come on up here, Dan and Cheryl Hutchinson. Let's give it up for them. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up right up here on the stage. They, they agreed to do this, by the way. All right? I just want to. But this is what they thought. This is what they thought. They're like, they felt like Cheryl. And they were looking up at Dan. And they were like, wait a minute. We can't possibly go where God's telling us to go. The odds are stacked against us. The circumstances are too big. But you know, one of the things they don't say in the midst of this is to say, hey, but wait a minute. Isn't God bigger than all of it? Isn't he bigger than me? Isn't he bigger than them? They were focused on what they could see with their eyes. And this is a good visual representation. Dan, how tall are you again? 6'4", what are you? 
five feet. All right, so good visual. Not quite what we read, but you get it, all right? Let's give it up for the Hutchinsons. Thank you, guys. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, it was mentioned about the Nephilim. And again, to give you context, many believe that the Nephilim are people who were fallen angels that then took on human flesh and married women and then had children. And so the Nephilim were these really big people. And again, it says here that the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim because the Anaks, that idea is, or who those people are, that this is where the Philistines come from. So Goliath, do you guys remember Goliath? So this is all happening, and this is what they're seeing. But again, do you notice the focus? Who I am in my own eyes compared to who they are and how they view me. Do you hear that? It's very what I am and what they are, but not who God is. The God who brought them out of Egypt. The God who showed up again and again and again. And you can look at that and you could start becoming judgmental towards them. I can be. But then I start thinking about my own life. How many times do I do the same thing? I've watched you come through again and again and again, but I'm so quick to forget. I'm so quick to question your goodness and your faithfulness. I'm so quick to not remember how you've done it again and again. And I know there have been times in my life where it's been really difficult. It was very cloudy. Last week, I talked about how we moved to this space in 2011, if you were here with us, and how that was really uncommon for a church plant that was a year and a half old to have its own space, 24-7 access. Really uncommon. But the thing I didn't mention to you while that was going on, my wife's father passed away suddenly. So we're in the midst of prepping to make this move. And in the midst of that, I have a grieving wife. I'm grieving. Our family's grieving. And it was, it was hard. It was difficult. It was challenging. And people came around us. But I, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, there were times where I was like, God, where are you in the midst of this? Because I'm having a hard time. And this is the first time I experienced a loss like that. And I started to understand what grief is like and the pain of that, and the sadness of that, and the challenge of that. And yet, in the midst of looking back, I can see how God was faithful. But it was hard. And I, I want you to hear me today tell you that this may be hard for you, whatever you're facing, but I, I want to be a voice on the other side of something that I've experienced. He's trustworthy, and he's good. Faithful to the end. And he's the God that goes with us. Even when our eyes tell us, Look at how big I am or how small I am compared to how big these people are or my set of circumstances. He always has made a way. This church is a living representation of a miracle that he has made. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. And you have your own stories because this community is made up of stories like that. What I just said is just one story out of many. But I don't want to discount how hard stuff like that is in life and how disorienting it is. And one of the ways that we fight and deal with the disorientation is to make sure we have our eyes on the prize, which is King Jesus. As we look to Him, as we come to Him with our pains and our aches and our fears and our concerns and our questions, when we can get to the point in saying, I can't, but you can. 
That's when we start to see him do what only he can do. And that's what he's after for each and every one of us. So as you think about this in your own life, there's a couple things I want to give to us. First is this. Whatever your perspective is will determine the progress you will make and take. So what is your perspective? Is it the 10 that say, look how big these people are? Look how strong they are? We were like grasshoppers compared to them. The land will devour us. Is that, is that your response or is it more like Caleb? No, 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 we can do this. Didn't you, we just got out of Egypt. Let's go. Let's take this. Let's go. And him saying that was not about being self-focused. It's about believing that a God who brought them out of Egypt was also going to bring them to what he had next for them. What's your perspective? Because whatever your view is, whatever your view is going to affect your attitude. And it will impact the progress that you make and you help others to make and take as well. You know, whenever I start to get a migraine, I start feeling in my eyes. If you've ever had a migraine, you know what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden, I start getting blurry vision. You know, I'm driving sometimes and I, oh, what's going on? And then sometimes I'll have to just close one eye so I can see clearly. Because that eye doesn't hurt, right? This eye would hurt. And, and then eventually I have to get to a dark room so I, my eyes can get reoriented to see properly. You know, our, 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 our faith eyes are like that too when we have the wrong perspective. When we're looking at the circumstances, how big they are, or the, we're comparing ourselves to somebody else, our vision gets blurry and we can't see clearly. And when that happens, we have to take our eyes off ourselves, off somebody else, off the set of circumstances and lift them up to Jesus because that's where our help comes from. Right? Psalm 121 says that. He's our help. He's the one that's going to come through. He's the one that has done it again and again and again. So as we think about that, here's a question. How big is your God? Is he bigger than people? There's this great book, that, the, the name of it. When, when God is small and people are big. You know, is, is that your perspective? Is your God small? How, how big is he? Is he able? Is he capable? Has he shown up and shown out again and again and again? How big is your God? Because if your focus is on what you can't do or what somebody else can do or your circumstances alone, yes, we will lose if it's up to us. But God's the God who said, I'm going to go with you. God's the God that said, I have this promised land for you. God's the God of the promise. God's the one who's going to fulfill those promises and those words again and again and again. So in your own life, in your own life, I want you to ask, how big is your God? Is it like the 10 spies who spread this bad report? And we're going to see the impact of that next week. They spread it again like pink eye, like lice. People started to hear that and be like, oh, man, wait a minute. They're right. We're not big enough. We're not capable. They took their eyes off God and who God is and what he's able to do and what he had already done. And so as we think about that, I want us to not lose sight of the impact that we can have on one another's life. But it can't happen if the perspective is about who I am instead of who God is and what he wants to do with me in my weaknesses, in my strengths, in my struggles, 
in my past failings, in my successes, in the memories that are both good, bad, difficult, the places I've come from, how he can redeem and use all those things. Again, how big is your God? How big is he? How big is your God? So as we continue on here, 10 spies had paralyzing fear and two spies had an activating faith. Again, I I don't want you to miss this. It wasn't just that they brought a report about, hey, this is what's going on. It was okay for them to even say, this is what's there. But what did they they do? They, They took their eyes off God and made it about them alone and what they could do. It became paralyzing for them. A paralyzing fear. And if you, you know what that's like, you know part of the problem is our perspective is, again, built on what I can do. Not on what God can do. But the two spies had an activating faith, and that's Caleb and Joshua. They had an activating faith. It wasn't that the, the report uh, was all good in the sense that, hey, it's ours for the taking alone. <laughs> no, there were things. There were challenges. Those were real. But it, it was the substance of what they were putting their trust in. Again, the two were putting their trust in something that was greater than themselves. The ten were putting them tr- their trust in what they could do and what these others could do. It wasn't in who God is and what he was able to do. So here's the, the next part of this. Will you follow the ten or the two? Which one are you going to be? This is all our perspective and our choice and our decision. It's about willingness. Which will you be? Will you be the ten or will you be the two? And when I'm talking about the 10, it's the 10 with a bad report that said, hey, the substance of our faith is built on what we can do and what these others could do to us. Or are we going to be like the two who said, no, the substance of our faith is built on who God is and what he said and what he's done again and again and again and again. I want to say to you, and I want you to know I'm praying for us that as we're, as we're in this season, we're unified. But one of the ways that we can become and stay unified even more is to make a decision on the front end, no matter what goes on, no matter what our eyes tell us, we're going to be like Caleb and Joshua, and we're going to have a faith in God who's able to do what is impossible for us to do. That is one of the ways that we do it. And that doesn't mean, again, that you don't have real questions that are legitimate and real concerns that are legitimate. It means, again, the substance of what we're holding on to is not ourselves, not our opinion, not our our hangups, our hurts, our past pain, but who he is and what he's done. And so as we think about that, I want us to to keep considering what it means to to be a person of faith. And so as we continue on here, I want us to just be reminded of what the author of Hebrews, how he would describe faith. Because it's one thing for me to say, have faith, right? And the substance, but some of us are like, what does that even look like? What does that mean? So I want to give you a little bit of some handles to hold on to And I would encourage you to take a look at Hebrews 11 because it does a great job of even explaining the ups and the downs of faith and people of faith. And we want to hold on to their example, not because they're perfect, but because they model a way of holding on to the one who's been faithful, no matter what their eyes told them. Okay, listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Starting in verse one, go into verse three. It says, now faith is confidence and what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's what? What's the word here? 
God's command. He spoke and it happened. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So what we see now was made out of what was unseen. Right? God spoke and it happened. Again, faith is this confidence in what we hope for in the assurance about what we don't, about what we do not see. About what we do not see. It's this confidence. It's this focused on the right thing. And then it goes on to say this. And without faith, it is impossible to do what? And without faith, it is what? Impossible to do what? Yeah, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. It's a great start, right? That he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And we hear reward. We kind of get Americanized in that, right? We're like, oh man, that means I get the house, the car, the money, the fame. But again, his boundary lines fall in pleasant places for us and he knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what it means for us to experience this life that is full in him. But I don't want us to miss this. He talks about that those who earnestly, diligently seek him, that he rewards those who do that. That we have to have this trust, a trust that allows us to come in this morning and sit in the chairs that you're sitting in. Right? It would be one thing for me to tell you, man, this chair is really, really nice. It's black. It's really comfortable. It's cozy. And then you're like, are you going to sit down? No, no, no. I'm just going to tell you about it. I believe that it could hold my weight. But you, you're like, what, why aren't you sitting in it? Well, I, you know, I just like to tell you about it. No, no, no. It only becomes faith, right, and trust when I'm sitting in it and not just talking about it. But then there's this other part about seeking. Again, the ten spies were diligently seeking what they could do. Look what we could do. Look at what these other people could do to us. The two were saying, no, no, I'm diligently seeking the one who's able to do the impossible. And that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Who are you seeking? Who are you pursuing? Is your eyes on you? Are you praying to yourself? Are you praying to somebody else? Are you praying to your heavenly father through the finished work of Jesus and by the power of the spirit who's able to do what only he can do? So as we wrap up here, I want to give you a couple of things. Both fear and faith are contagious. Which one will you feed? They both have an appetite. The choice is ours. And one of the ways that we feed our fears is to ongoingly have a narrative around what we can and can't do versus what God can do. Compare ourselves constantly to what others have. Look at what they're doing versus what I'm doing. But faith, when we have faith, it's calling out with gratitude, God, thank you. Thank you for a time to gather this morning. Thank you for the, the small blessings like cups of coffee and meaningful conversations. Thank you for your word that's alive and active. Thank you for others who remind me of who I am and what you say of me and what you have for me. It's not only that, but it's feeding it in a way that allows others into our lives who are going to remind us and encourage us. That's why community groups are so important. We need one another. Again, there's power with one another. We saw the power of the 10, right? The bad report was spreading. That's the power of community, right? That's a negative side of it. But the opposite is true too. We have a way of spreading faith or spreading fear. 
Again, which one are you going to feed? So as we think about it, I want to give you a couple things to take part in. Starting tomorrow, we're kicking off 40 days of prayer and fasting. And so writings have been created and have been curated by my beautiful bride, Amy Velarde, uh, with the help of others to make that happen, as well as a guide of understanding what fasting is. Fasting is an, a season of saying, I'm saying no to something so I can say more of a yes to you, God, in your presence in my life. It's a focused time of prayer, reading the scriptures, thinking through the things of God. We, we know that fasting is what Jesus did for 40 days as he was in a season of testing. And so I want you to think about what it is that you're going to fast. It doesn't have to be food. Maybe you're not medically at a place to do that. And there's a lot of different ways to fast. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's TikTok. Maybe it's Snapchat. Maybe it's news. Maybe during that time, instead of looking at all those things, you're going to just use it to pray, to use these readings. And all this is available on our site. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet gone to riverbendonline.org slash for the valley to go there. All this will be found there. All the opportunities to join in and to connect in this. We're going to have readings released every week. So we already have the first seven ready to go for tomorrow. I want to invite you to feed your faith. This is one of the ways we do it. The second part of this is community groups. If you're not sharing life with one another or don't have a place to do that, I want to invite you to do that. And so community groups are one of the ways that we can do that. And then the other part of feeding your faith is this all-church banquet that's happening October 15th. If you will do us a huge favor and let us know by next Sunday that you're coming, that would be helpful so that we can have enough food because we're catering the food in and so that we have enough childcare available and to know how many kids to anticipate and expect. So we have childcare covered. So grateful for our partner church, Faith Church in Trexertown. They're bringing in clearance leaders, volunteers to help with kids uh, programming during that time. But I want to encourage you, these three things, if you'll do them, they will help to feed your faith. They will help to feed your faith. And maybe you can't do all three, but at least you can do one to two of those things. Hey, may we in this season be a people who feed, feed our faith. Because again, both fear and faith are contagious. So which one are you going to help spread? The choice is ours. May we be willing to join Jesus in all that he has for us. This time I want to invite the band to come up and we're going to pray. And as we do that, I want you to just think about what are some of the fears that you carry today? What are some of the things you're afraid of? What are some of the set of circumstances that you're coming in with today that maybe cloud your ability to see what God is able to do? And, and as, as I'm praying for you, if, if you would just let me know, you just keep your eyes closed, say, hey, you know, I have a real fear. Maybe it's a health fear. If that's you, we just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. No one's looking around. Oh, I see that. See that? I see that. See that? For you, maybe, maybe for you, your fear is what's going on with the economy and the job market. If that's you, we just raise your hand for me. Yeah. yeah. See that? Maybe for you, uh, the fear is something about your past. If that's you, we just raise your hand for me. Again, no one's looking around here. Maybe it's shame, something you've done. 
Yep, I see that. I see that. If, if you're here and you say, man, my fear is a past hurt, and I'm afraid it's going to happen again. Will you just raise your hand? Will you raise your hand? Let me see that. Let me see that. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Father, right now, there's so many things that we could name. I think it's important in community that we name it. Because we know that fear is real in the sense that these are things we feel. But as great as our fear is, in faith, we know you're greater. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that you would release the fear that's holding on to people's lives, Father. Whether it's the fear of something medically, the economics, the the work uh, realities, Father. Past hurts and pains, Father something that they've done in the past. Lord, I pray right now your shalom would fill this place. Jesus, in faith, we believe you're able to. We believe you're able to do what's impossible. Not just for our next home as a church. We do believe that, and we are confident you're able to do that. Well, we believe right now, God, more than just what you want to take us to as a church, you want to do something deep within us from the inside out. And so right now, would you... Help our unbelief. Would you increase our faith? Would you help us to sincerely believe that you can do what's impossible? May we be men and women who diligently seek you and believe that you are the one who is the great reward and the great rewarder. Lord, we just, we believe. We know you can. We can't, but you can. We're, we're, we're confident in you. We're not comparing ourselves to somebody else. We're not saying, look at what I can't do. We're looking at what you can do. And we know through the finished work of Jesus, the work has been done and we get to join you in that by the power of the Spirit. So Jesus, we thank you for your life, death, burial, and resurrection. I pray for any person here who's come and who's yet to put their faith in you. Today would be the day of salvation for them. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.